I'd like to begin today by reading a parable from Luke. Jesus was telling a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my old barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And then when that's all done, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food, and your body is more than clothes. This last couple of weeks in James, we've been talking about the idea of submission to God's plan for us, um, and, and how that applies to us through uh, the materialistic culture that we live in, um, what that means in terms of repentance, and what that looks like as a church collectively. And in the midst of that, we, we kind of discuss what it looks like in our society when we put our desires and wants above God's plan for us. And the fact that when we do so, instead of trusting Him with our future, we are actually being unfaithful to God. So this week we're going to talk a little more about God's plan for us, but specifically about us seeking God's will in our lives. Because when we don't leave room for God's plan or his will in our daily lives, we assume a level of arrogance that is dangerous. In doing so, we assume that we have actually full control over our lives, over the results of our decisions, when in reality, we don't have control over anything. God is in control of everything. So this week, we're going to explore more of what it means to seek God's will in our lives, and not just in the bigger picture, not just the, the big decisions, but our daily activities and doings every day. Because at the end of the day, there is so much that is out of our control that our only hope of true success and happiness in our lives is if our plans and our will is in line with God's plans and God's will, because he is the one who has the power to make things happen. Every Christian should seek God's will in all that they do because it's only through him that anything is possible. So our passage today is going to finish off chapter 4 of James, verses 13 to 17. And I'm actually going to switch it up and read from the NLT version this week. I think I've kind of said in the past, whenever I study my text, I usually choose my English translation based on what I think best conveys the message I discover uh, from studying. And I felt this week that that was the NLT. So James says, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it disappears. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting 
is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So the very first thing that he does here is he calls out these business owners, and, and this was really directed towards this, uh, this group of people in that society that were kind of like traveling merchants. Uh, so he says, look here, you who say, we'll go to a certain town, stay there for a year and do business. Uh, this was a really booming time for traveling merchants. There were kind of these big cities uh, where there would be centers and hubs of trade. The Romans had built all these roads, uh, and so there would be these cities situated on these roads, and that was kind of where everyone going anywhere would meet. Uh, and so if you wanted to make a big load of cash, you would have a business, and you would load up your wagon, go down these fancy Roman roads, and go to this big trading hub of a city and set up shop. Now we know that historically, there were actually a lot of Jews in Palestine that were active in this. They were making a lot of money and had become quite wealthy. And so this is kind of the group that he's talking to at this point. And, and we kind of have this sort of grab your attention type of start to his words. He says, look here you, or come now. Essentially he's saying, if this is you, listen up. Now what we're going to see as we go through this passage is that uh, they're guilty of a sin here, and, and the sin isn't that they were businessmen. That's not the problem. It's not wrong to be in business or to make money. The real problem was that they were so presumptuous and arrogant in their ability to make money for themselves, to plan for themselves, that they didn't factor God into any of their plans or calculations. And this kind of connects back to what we talked about a few weeks ago about the two kinds of wisdom. Uh, that there's, a, there's an earthly wisdom that characterizes the world, and then there's godly wisdom. This is an example of earthly wisdom. And it's rooted in a belief or a misunderstanding that we are in complete control of our own circumstances when that is never the case. In verse 14, he says... How do you know what your life will be like even tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. And that's true for not just them, but for us. Our, our lives, we get so tied up in them, and, and all the things we're going to do, um, whether it's today or tomorrow or five years, ten years, we make these big plans, uh, and we feel like our lives are so significant. But the truth is that our lives on earth, in view of eternity, is nothing. We spend all this time working towards all these things that we can enjoy for a couple of years, and then we die. Now, understanding that's the case, how should this apply to our lives? And so I would think, um, if we understand that our time here on earth is short and in comparison to eternity, insignificant. I would think that we would all make our plans and decisions uh, in our lives, the big and the small, by looking to him who truly does have control over our lives. So these businessmen, they made no allowances for any unforeseen circumstances. They had these big plans. There was no uh, thought given to what could happen or maybe what God's plan was for them. They were confident in their ability to not only scheme and plan out their futures, 
but also in their ability to carry those plans out to completion without any hitches or problems, when they don't even know if they'd be alive tomorrow. So in this passage, it's clear from studying that James is trying to emphasize the extremely short duration of our lives, and I am trying to do the same uh, as I preach, uh, because I can plan out my life. And we kind of talked about this last week, about how we're always rushing to get to the next thing, you know, whether it's to buy a house, uh, or to have kids, or to get the next job, or retire, or find the comfy chair to sit until you die. Uh, we talked about that. <coughs> I can plan everything out. I can plan for whatever, but I might be hit by a bus tomorrow, for all I know. And so, if I spend my whole life chasing these things, am I not just wasting my time? There's a million things that could happen to set my life off in a different direction. I have no idea what's going to happen. But God does. God knows everything, and he has a plan for each and every one of us. If we look at the example of the apostles, Paul, for example, he always, always conditioned his plans on the will of God during his missionary journeys. Whether big or small, he always seeked his will and direction. He always had kind of an idea of what he wanted to do, but then sometimes when he'd be traveling, God would come to him in a dream and say, go over there instead. And he'd say, okay. And, and that's kind of the idea of what we need to be like. God knows everything, and he has a plan for all of us. We have to recognize that we are powerless, but we should turn to the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing. And I think that, like a lot of things that we teach in church, it's something that we all inherently know to be true, but it's not something we're necessarily good at following through on. Uh, and, and so I kind of want to... Um, talk about this this week uh, because sometimes it's good to have a bit of a reminder. James says in verse 15, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. No Christian can safely assume that they can live independently of God. For a Christian to leave God out of their plans is an arrogant assumption of self-sufficiency, a declaration of independence from God, and it overlooks reality. I think that, among other things, this passage is definitely a really important, maybe one of the most important biblical sources for a Christian ethic of business. Because there's nothing evil or wrong, per se, about anything God has made or put at our disposal. But we must remember that God himself is not at our disposal, and neither are his standards of faith. What James is really encouraging here for us, it's not for us to constantly be saying, if God wills it before everything we say, like a formula, because when we kind of take things like that and apply it like in that way, it just becomes a really religious thing without any heart behind it. It just becomes some kind of thing we do. I think it's not for us to say this thing before everything we say, it's, uh, his point is to encourage us to make this mindset into a standard of living for everything we do. Everything we do, God's will and plan should be forefront in our minds, whether it's something big or something small. 
And any of the plans that we are making should try to line up with the will of God if we know it. Or at the very least, because often we don't know God's will or plan, we're kind of along for the ride, there should be ample space for God's will to change our plans in recognition of his divine sovereignty. Of course, with all this in mind, that means, of course, that his moral guidelines for our lives should be followed and his plans made to be our plans if we do know them. Again, it's not about saying if God wills before everything we do. It's about truly and honestly seeking his will with our hearts in everything that we do in recognition of and in submission to his sovereignty over all creation. But also, just to dumb it down a bit, just because he knows what is best for us and he wants what is best for us. The businessmen that James were addressing, they were not factoring in God into their plans. They were actually proud of the fact that they had all on their own, they thought, build all this wealth and position to where they were. And they were arrogant because of their success. And because they could truly, uh, they, they believed that they truly could foresee and control their futures. But James wants the believers to have absolutely nothing to do with boasting in our own abilities to control our lives and shape our futures because it leads to arrogance. When we make our plans without seeking God's will, there's a lack of willingness to yield to God's will. And that is what makes this sinful. And then we have this final verse. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Uh, and this is something um, many denominations call the sin of omission. And pretty much all the commentaries I read say this verse was a traditional saying at the time uh, that circulated independently of this passage. It was kind of put in there. Uh, and really, this could apply to any kind of teaching in the Bible. After they say that you should do this, not this, uh, they can always end with, remember, it's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's not good enough to not do something bad. You actually have to do something good once you know that you should do something good. And that's a little uh, more uh, work on our part, I guess. It's something that's, um, it involves a lot more effort and heart on our part. This was written as a warning. In the original version, it would have started with the word therefore, when you look at it in Greek. Because they were doing something wrong, they should consider this statement or saying, because it had been brought to their attention that what they were doing is sinful, now that it has been pointed out to you, you are without excuse if you continue in the same way that you did before. Knowing what should be done as Christians obligates us to do it. The principle of doing what you know to be true and good begins with placing all of the intentions of our hearts before God and submitting in that way. And this is how we begin to grow a, full, uh, a wholehearted trust in God to meet our needs and to guide our paths. In other words, we can't hold anything back. Okay, so that is the passage, uh, and we can kind of see what's going on in the first century when it was written. And what's become clear is that they were living their lives the wrong way. There was a sense of arrogance 
uh, of arrogance and presumption in the way that the rich in the church were living their lives. So now what we need to do is assess where we are at in our own lives, in our own workings, and in our plans, and see how this applies to us. And before I go into the big takeaways, I do want to point something out, which is that Poverty then is not the same as poverty now for us here in North America. Uh, by the definitions they had then, we're all rich. And so I kind of want us to consider that as we go through this passage, is that, you know, in, in terms of first century comparison, we are all rich in our society. So I do think this will apply to us, uh, each and every one of us. So let's go through, there's a few things I want us to remember from this passage as we leave. Um, how it applies to each and every one of us individually, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so I don't really want to get into how you should apply this to your life. I just want to go through some things that we should all remember from this passage as we leave. The first thing is that we are not in control. And this should be a mantra as we're planning anything in our lives. We are not in control. We can make plans. We can store up treasures for ourselves on earth. And we can sit back and be proud and say, look at all the stuff I did. Now I can relax and enjoy my life. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because you might die that night. There are so many factors in life that are out of our control. And when we in arrogance assume that we have total control over our lives and over our circumstances, essentially, we disregard God's role as the creator and sustainer of all things, which is, of course, sinful. When we boast in our achievements and in our abilities, as if we actually built what we have for ourselves and disregard God, we sin even more. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't brag about tomorrow since you know what the day will bring, or you don't know what the day will bring. We shouldn't brag about things that aren't even in our control anyways, or what we think we're responsible for. Instead, we should be seeking God's will in all that we do. Because he is ultimately the one that makes all things happen. He is the one who has the big picture perspective on our lives. He lives outside of time. He knows how the story ends. We don't. He knows what is best for us, and he wants what is best for us. So we should seek his will in all that we do. The second thing I want us to remember from this passage is that our lives are fleeting. I think that part of the reason we're so bad at keeping our eyes on Jesus and in following his will for our lives is that we forget that the time we spend on earth pales in comparison to eternity. It's, it pales to the point of being insignificant. Which means that if we spend all of our time and energy making our plots and plans to get ahead in this life, to store away treasures, build a bigger barn, um, acquire wealth, or whatever it is that we desire, we're wasting our time because none of it will last. Psalm 144, 3-4 says, O Lord, what are human beings that you would notice them? Mere mortals that you should think about them. For they are like a breath of air. Their days are like a passing shadow. And yet he does notice us. And he does think about us. For that reason alone, we should be seeking his will for our lives in everything that we do. 
The third thing I want us to remember as we consider whatever it is that we're pursuing in our life and as we consider God's will for each and every one of us is that it is sinful to do not do something good if you know that you should. And I want us to remember this specifically in regards to how we live our lives and in what we are putting at the center of our lives. Last week we talked about how it is sinful to put anything in your heart above God. In fact, when we do so, we're being unfaithful to Him. And I kind of use the illustration, because we're in a covenant with God, I use the illustration of someone who unknowingly cheats on their spouse. They don't realize they did it, but then someone comes and brings it to their attention and says, hey, did you realize you cheated on your spouse? And you are like, no, I had no idea. And you'd be heartbroken. If you're truly repentant, you should be heartbroken. And that is how it should be with God. We are in a covenant with God, and if we don't realize we're sinning, or if we don't realize we're being unfaithful, we should be heartbroken when we find out that we were. Once we know we were wrong, it is our responsibility to then do right. And that applies for us. Now that we know what is, that it is good and right for us to seek God's will in all the areas of our lives, big and small, now that we have read this and studied this, now that we know it is right and good for us to consider his will in all we do and seek it and follow it, it is now sinful for us to do otherwise. Luke 12, 47 says, And a servant who knows what the master wants, but is not prepared and does not carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. Now, I do have to stop and give my weekly reminder for the series in James that this is not about earning our salvation, and if we mess up, it's not a one-way ticket to hell. That's not how it works anymore. But there is also an expectation that as believers and followers of Jesus that we will have deeds to show for our faith, that we will pursue Jesus, and yes, we'll fail and fall, but that doesn't mean we stop running the race. We know what the master wants of us, or at the very least, we know his desire is for us to want to know what he wants for us. He wants us to seek his will. So as followers and lovers of Jesus, we should make it our goal to seek his will in all that we do. So to conclude this week, Let's not be like that servant in the story I read at the beginning. Building bigger barns to store away our wealth and making big plans for our lives. Let's not be like the arrogant merchants that James was referring to, presuming that we are in control of our lives and taking pride in what we have built for ourselves apart from God. Let's remember that we are not in control of our short and fleeting lives, and that there is so many things that are out of our control. Let's remember and accept our absolute dependency on the grace and will of Jesus Christ. My prayer for us as we leave this week is that we would be faithful to follow him, to do the good we know we ought to do, and to seek his will in all that we do, because it is only through him that anything is possible. Father God, I thank you so much that you have sent Jesus to die for our sins.
I thank you that we no longer have to meet the perfect standard that you forgive our sins, but I do ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to follow you, to seek your will, and to submit in love. I ask that you would guide us and that you would be like a lamp to our feet showing us where we should go, both as a church, as the church, and as individuals. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.